Again, welcome this morning. You know, over the past couple of weeks, we've been talking about this, um, uh, this process of what it means to be a disciple and this discipleship making. You know, we've looked um, a couple of weeks ago at the marks of a disciple where we saw how, uh, how there's a process from a believer to become a disciple, a true follower of Jesus. We looked at the cost. We looked at the fact that it requires us to deny ourselves and to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. Um, a disciple is someone who is a soul winner, one who loves as Christ loves, and in turns, at the maturation of, of a disciple, is to, in, to make more disciples. And last week, we looked at what is required on, on the onset to be a disciple is you must adopt the mindset of, an, of, a, of, a, um, of a disciple. And we looked at where Peter, uh, where Jesus boarded Peter's boat, and he was told to cast the net out for a catch after he had been out in the sea all night fishing and had done no good, and he didn't really think that it would be done any good, but he had the mindset of, nevertheless, at your word, I will. And be obedient to what Jesus calls us to do and to be obedient to the word of God. And for us to, to make that step, according to what Jesus said, he said, he, told, he, uh, he said to those who believed, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. We must adopt the mindset of nevertheless, at your word, I will. And follow in obedience if we are going to be the disciples that Jesus Christ is calling us to be. Now today we're going to look at a little bit more in depth on the cost of discipleship and what it means to deny yourself in order to be the disciple that Jesus wants us to be. If we'll, we'll turn really briefly back to Luke chapter 14. In Luke chapter 14, in verse 33, it says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. And a few verses before that, he goes on to say, says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Skipping down to verse 31, he speaks of a king going to make war against another king, does not sit down first to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. There's a cost for discipleship. And he goes on to say in verse 33 again, he says, for, whoso, he says, for whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciples. There's a cost and a sacrifice for living and following Jesus Christ in the world in which we live today. The price that we must pay to be a disciple for him. But also looking into Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, we see this thing repeated as well. Now, Paul had talked about a lot of things up to this point in the, in the letter to the Romans. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Obviously, with a sacrifice, that costs us something. And I want you to understand, whenever, if you want to be a follower of Jesus and a disciple in this world, it's going to cost you something. But I will say, anything worth having is going to cost you something. Anything worth having at all. And being a believer who's following Jesus Christ and pursuing the will of God, no matter what the world is doing around him, that's worth having. Having a relationship that stands by Jesus no matter what is worth any kind of sacrifice that we could possibly make. But here he says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And in verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That kind of ties together what we were talking about last week. Adopting that mindset that says, Nevertheless, at your word, I will. But by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Which that brings us to the title of our sermon this morning, which is called The Investment of a Disciple. Following Jesus, there's an investment to be made. Now, while I'm using the word investment here, it implies that there's a cost. There's a buy-in price to it. But also with an investment, we also expect what? A return, right? Anytime you want to talk about investments, the first question that goes through my head, okay, what's my return going to be here? And then the next question is, is the return going to be worth my investment? You see where I'm going here? So is it going to be worth the investment? Is it going to be worth the cost? Is the value that I get in return a measure of rewards from God in eternity worth the investment that I've got to make with my life today? Is that a possibility? Is that going to be a good investment for me to invest in while I live here on this earth? Well, we're going to play a simple game here, completely and totally hypothetical. Okay, but I want you to participate with me. This is going to set the stage for our study. Now, to help illustrate with the point we're trying to make, I want you to imagine for a moment, because like I said, this is going to be completely hypothetical. This is not going to be real. It's not going to happen. And you'll understand why I'm making a reiteration here. But let's just say that I've got the power to offer you some really great deals. Okay, here's my first offer. I will give each one of you $100,000 for your car. How many would you take me up on the offer? Anybody? Not. Okay, you got your keys ready. Okay, no kidding. That's a good deal. So I'm going to tell you, I mean, I drive a car that's worth about $7,000 and I owe ten. you are going to give me hundred grand. It's going to happen, okay? Here's the keys. I'll even wash it. I'll gas it up. It's yours. You can have it. So yeah, so hundred grand for your car. All right. So I doubt that anybody would not you know, take me up on that offer if I was able to give each and every one of you hundred grand for your car. Now, I'm going to make you a second offer. You've got your hundred thousand in your pocket. I've just handed it to you. Second offer is this. I will give you a million dollars for your car. It's already sounding better, right? But there's a catch to this one. I will give you a million dollars for your car, but you have to give me back the hundred grand. You have to give me back the hundred grand. You have to give me your cell phone, and I will crush it. You cannot go back to your car. You must leave it exactly where it is. And you have to come back one month later in order to get your million dollars. How many of you would take the second deal? A million bucks for a month? Okay, if you're not taking that deal, we need to pass the offering plate to you. Okay. All right, so, so the, offer on the, second, the offer on the table now is a million dollars for your car, but however, you can't go back to your car. You throw me the keys. You don't touch your car. You have to find your own way home. You have to find your way around for the next month in order to come back to me to collect your million dollars for your car. Now with that... We all said, okay, I will take the second. Anybody not going to take the second offer? Okay, there's not anybody who's not going to take the second offer. 
But I want you to, to take a look at it. Not even the, the bad conditions um, would deter you from actually taking that million-dollar offer. One, you got to get back home. you got to walk back and forth to work. you got to do whatever. In order to get along for the next month, you got to do it without a car. And you've got to make it back here the next Sunday um, within a month to actually collect on the million dollars. You have to wait on it. So whenever it comes to making this offer, whenever we saw the $100,000 offer, we said, that's an, that's an outstanding offer. We were excited about it. You'd have taken it, keys were ready to go, but then the second offer came, and the million dollars was worth so much more, but even in the inconvenience, even with all of the, the things you had to go through, you were willing to take the million dollar offer, but it was going to be put off into the future. And by accepting the second offer, you turned down the first, you turned down an offer that gave you immediate gain, that gave you instant gratification for a much larger offer that would pay off in the future. An offer that you, um, you gave up an offer that required no effort. You gave up an offer that didn't require any sacrifice. But you, but you accepted a much larger offer that required much effort on your part and much sacrifice. But the thing about it is, is you were able to see the value of that in the future and you were willing to make the sacrifice in order to gain it. I want you to understand, in real life, you get some offers like that. I believe that Satan will throw some offers on the table for you. I believe that he can make this world look entirely enticing. He can make it look good. And he can give you something that you would even value according to your own value system. Because it meets the needs and it meets the desires of your heart. But he can give you things that will give you immediate pleasure. Instant gratification that will satisfy the pleasures and the rewards that you want. Things in regard to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. These are the things that Satan can willingly and easily give to you in this world. He is the God of this world. He can make things happen for you in this world. And he can make them look good. He can say, well, the cost is really worth it. I'll take it. He can, he can, he can start throwing things in your way, and he can, he can um, get you to forget the things that are really and really important and forget the things that are really valuable in the future. And we can see this in the very um, scenario whenever Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness. Now, Jesus had just been baptized, and then he, he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in the wilderness, Satan came to him, and he started making him some offers. He was throwing some things out there that, were, that would be appealing to the lust of the eyes and the flesh and the pride of life. And he was throwing those things out there in front of Jesus, trying to get him to take them. And the last thing he did was he gave him an offer. He took him up on the mountaintop, and he showed him all of the kingdoms and all of their glory and everything that he had. And he said, Jesus, if you will bow down to me, I will give you all of this. What was he offering? He was offering a kingdom without having to go to the cross. He was offering him a kingdom of the world that he could have definitely given to Jesus by bowing down to him and said, look, all of this world, I'll give it to you. And he could. Without any effort, without any sacrifice, he was offering him a kingdom without the cross. But Jesus understood to get the kingdom that he wanted, that he was going to have to cost him his life on the cross. It cost him a sacrifice to get the kingdom that was right. To do his Father's will required him to go to the cross and to give his life for us in order to create the kingdom that his Father desired. 
And I want you to understand that the Satan will do the exact same thing. He will offer you everything this world has to offer with little effort, with little sacrifice, and it'll look great. Because I want you to understand when it comes to following Jesus, it does require a cost. It does require a sacrifice. But is that price worth paying to be a disciple? He requires no effort or self-discipline on our part. If it feels good, he says, go ahead and do it. If it looks good, go ahead and take it. And if it sounds good, go for it. That's the, that's the philosophy of, of the devil and in this world. Whatever you want, take it. You know, people say, well, if you want to get ahead, you've got to cooperate with other people. That's a complete lie. A lot of people get really ahead by not cooperating with other people and doing whatever they want, regardless of what kind of uh, moral boundaries they should take a part in. You can get ahead and you can get everything that this world has to offer very easily if you're not willing to follow Jesus and you want to follow what Satan throws out there for you. This is what the Bible refers to in, in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25, the passing pleasures of sin. And you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there because we'll be there in just a few minutes. Hebrews chapter 11. These passing pleasures of sin, they're very enticing to us. And I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. They're very enticing to all of us. That's why Satan throws it out there for us. That's why we see ourselves, you know, falling for this, um, for this offer that's less valuable than what God gives us. You know, Satan has, he, th- he throws these things out there, and just like he did with Jesus, he was offering a kingdom without the cross. Satan will offer you everything this world has to offer, but without, without a sacrifice, without much hard work, but he will, he will give it to you in order to keep you away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, God's deal is a little bit different, God's offer. God promises future pleasures, future rewards, an eternal home in heaven, which is our hope that we look forward to whenever we die or when Jesus Christ comes back. We have this wonderful thing that comes in in the future. We have eternity of bliss It's far exceeding the pleasures of anything that we can have in this world or anything that this world can offer us, any any rewards this life can bring us. But I want you to understand that whenever we come to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the gift of salvation is given to you, set in stone. Nothing else is going to take that away. Your ticket has been punched, and you are going into heaven. Now, how our, now, depending on how we serve the Lord from then on, will determine the rewards that we get whenever we get to heaven. And He wants to reward us. He tells us that we need to store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And if, we are, if, we're, if we're piling up treasures here on earth, guess what? That's where our heart is going to be on things of earth. But whenever we have the mindset And whenever we change our way of thinking to nevertheless what I say, but God, nevertheless, whatever you say, at your word, I will do that. And you know that you're storing treasures in heaven. That's where your biggest investment is, and therefore that's where your time and energy is going to be put in your biggest investment, the thing that's going to give you your biggest return. Now, there's the understanding about this investment is that yes, it does require an effort. It requires the sacrifice on our part. It requires the sacrifice of faithful service to Him. Walking, walking with Jesus Christ regardless of what the world around us is doing or saying. Such as denying ourselves and resisting the temptations that are thrown in the mix. We must resist those things that Satan throws in front of us and says, look, if you'll do this, I will give you this right now. 
We have to be willing to resist the the instant gratification that Satan is offering and be able to look forward to the reward that is to come from God. We need to be able to resist the temptation and not allow Satan to throw us up and trip us up and to see his, his offer as more valuable than what God's offer is. Also, we have to go through much effort and in, in, um, in sacrifice through various persecutions whenever we live in this world following Jesus Christ. But the question I ask is, why do so many accept Satan's offer over what God offers? Why do people do that? I mean, honestly, if you think about it, why do people accept the, the offer that Satan throws on the table over what God offers? Now, at first, whenever I offered you hundred grand for the car, you said, that was amazing. I'll take it. That's great. And you would. That's a good deal. But whenever I offered you the other one that gave you a future a future gain, you're like, well, I think that one's better. It's worth the wait. Why? Because you saw that the value of a million dollars was 10 times over 100,000, and it was worth me going a month without it. The reason people accept Satan's offer or the offer that comes from the world is they do not see the value that God gives as being more than the value that Satan gives. That's just, that's just plain, plain and simple the way it is. Because we see what we can immediately get, but we know that if I resist this and I do what God says, the, the Word of God definitely tells me that if I resist and I follow Him and I serve Him, He gives the greater reward. So you know you have this temporary reward or you have this greater reward, but for whatever reason, Satan has blinded you and lied to you to the point where you actually believe that this instant gratification is going to give me something that I will enjoy more than what I will get in the future. That's why people choose to take what the world offers rather than what God offers because they truly don't see the valued difference. Or they don't believe what God's Word says about the valued difference. They can only see what's right in front of them and they fail to look forward to the reward that God is promising them to get. The promises of Satan, they can only last for a lifetime at best. Really think about that. Whatever this world can give you, it can only last to you as long as you live. That's it. That's, I mean, once you die, it's done, it's over with, you can't carry it with you. And if it lasts that long, most of the time what the world gives is even more temporary than that because we, keep, we have to keep it up, we have to keep things going, we've got to keep feeding the desires and pleasures. But what Satan is offering you and what this world offers you at best, what, 100 years, right? At best, and that's if you get it at zero years old. But for the most part, what, what the world can offer you is temporary, and at the longest time it can last is your very own lifetime. Now, the promises that God gives, they last for an eternity. Now, taking a parallel verse we read out of Luke last week, Mark chapter 10 and verse 28, it says, Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come. Now if you're following along with me in Mark chapter 10 and verse 28 there, you'll see I skipped over a little little part. 
I'm going to go back and I'm going to catch it up, but I want you to really catch something here. It says, So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house, brother or sister, father or mother, wife, children or lands, for my sake or the gospels, who shall not receive one hundredfold now in this time. And then he lists things. And he goes on to list, in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. He says, you will receive many-fold things in this life, but it comes with what? Persecutions. It comes with the sacrifice. It comes with the cost. But he says that you will receive 100 times, 100-fold in this life. Let me ask you, if you have to give up a dollar to get 100, it's a pretty good investment, right? All right. And Jesus is saying that anybody who gives up all of these things in a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come, you will receive. So is the, is the investment worth it? But also we see here in 1 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away. Which one holds more value? The one that can last your lifetime or the one that is incorruptible, undefiled, pure, and that will never fade away? Which one holds the greater value? Obviously, the reward that Jesus Christ gives. But I didn't finish out, the, finish out the verse. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Whenever we make this investment in discipleship and in following Jesus Christ, this inheritance that we will gain, incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away, it is reserved in heaven for you. And no matter what sacrifice that we have to make in this life, that reward is going to be reserved for you in heaven. It's going to be there. You can't rob the bank on this one. Nobody can come and take it away. It's not going to rot. It's not going to go away. It's going to be pure and undefiled, incorruptible. It is going to carry more value than anything that is worth, than this world could ever offer you. That is the, that is the promises from God. And he says it is reward, it's a, that it will be reserved for you in heaven. But yet people still literally sell their souls to accept the deal that Satan offers. Let's turn to page, not page, if you've got a Bible like mine, I'll give you a page number, but Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24, Moses understood the difference. Moses understood the difference in the offers that were on the table for him. And he had some really, really good offers on the table. So as we turn to um, um, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24, it says, By faith Moses, when he had become of age, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin." Now, Moses has a great offer, does he not? To be the prince of Egypt? To go ahead and take what's already thrown on the table for him? 
could want for nothing, anything he wanted, money, women, anything this world had to offer, he could have it at his, at his, own, um, at his own voice. He can just speak it, and somebody's going to make sure it happens for him. A, a position of power. And that position, eventually, it would give him anything he could possibly want from the world in which he lived in. But what does it say? He says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused it. He refused it. There was no greater position in the world at that time than to be the Pharaoh or the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. It doesn't get much better than that. The lifestyle doesn't get more lavish than this. But he was willing to say, you know what? I am choosing not to have any of that. I'm refusing that position because in order for me to take that position would require me to deny what God has called me to do. And he says this, it's choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He understood that even being the prince of Egypt was a passing pleasure. And it would never amount to what God was going to have for him. Now, we read, the, we read the entire story, don't we? We can see how tough uh, Moses had it when he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness. It was a tough job. It wasn't easy. It got the best of him. And he didn't even get to go into the promised land. It cost him greatly. He could have had a much better lavish life by being the prince of Egypt. He could have done that. And he knew that he could do that. But he, he chose to refuse to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to do it, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures. He could have enjoyed these pleasures for the rest of his life. So he's not talking about temporary within his lifetime. But why did he do that? Here comes the mindset in verse 26. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. What did he do? He valued the riches in Christ more than the values that Egypt was able to offer him. He said, whatever Christ is going to give me, that is a greater rich. That is a greater reward. That's something that I'm going to focus on because I know no matter what Egypt has to offer, it's going to dim into comparison to what Christ. He's esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. And Egypt had some amazing treasures. This world has got great treasures. This world can set you up really nicely during this lifetime. And it's okay to have those things. But if you value those things greater than you value the treasures in heaven that are from God, that are incorruptible, undefiled, and will last forever, you have the wrong perspective. And if you think these have greater value, this is where your effort is going to be in gaining these. And, in, in, um, and your heart will not be on treasures in heaven. Your, your, your mind will not be heavenly. You will focus on things that will gain you worldly gain rather than focusing on what gets you heavenly gain. And therefore, two different lifestyles. But he chose this because he esteemed Christ's greater riches. He said, I want the greater reward. Though I may have to wait on it, though it's going to cost me greatly, I'm going to wait on that. Listen to that last phrase there in verse 26. I'll go ahead and read the whole verse. Esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked for the reward. He looked for forward to the reward that was to come. 
to be a disciple of Jesus, yes, there is a price that we have to pay. There's a sacrifice that must be made, and yes, it requires us to deny ourselves. It requires us to resist temptation. It requires us to work in order to follow Christ in this world. And the question I was asking, as asking early, is there a price to pay in order to be a disciple? Absolutely. But my question again, is that price worth the return? Are you willing to invest in the kingdom of God in order to be the disciple that God has called us to be? I want you to understand, whenever, whenever it comes to making this investment, you know, I know a little bit about real estate investing. When you go looking to buy a house and you want to flip it and sell it again, when do you make your profit? It's a good question. Most people say when you sell. It's not. You make your profit when you buy. It's up front. It's what you're paying for the, for the property. And then you realize it once you sell it. You pay too much for it, you break even, you don't make anything. It's all in how you buy it up front. Whenever it comes to following Christ and being a disciple, we pay up front for a future gain. We exercise delayed gratification. We understand and we hold the value of what God gives us as a greater value than what the world can give us. And having that perspective will change your life. And I want you to understand. You know, we, we spend too much time chasing after the things of this world because, yes, they give us this temporary pleasure and they make us feel good and it makes us, uh, it makes us you know, temporarily happy. And like I said, those things are good and they carry a value, but they carry no value in comparison to what God gives. We must have an understanding that the price that we pay is worth the investment that we have to make. As we prepare for a time of invitation this morning, as our musicians come forward, you know, my, my purpose this morning was not to bestow you know, feelings of guilt, but remind ourselves that we need to have a proper perspective when it comes to the rewards that are coming to us, the offers that are laid to us on the table on a day-to-day -day basis. Each day we make choices whether we're going to follow Christ or we're going to follow the things of the world. You know, we must deny ourselves in, uh, daily, we must pick up his cross daily and follow him. The price to pay, yes, there is a sacrifice. But thank God that he is going to give us a much better return. We focus on the things that Christ has given us. Now, I've, I've given a lot of time to the rewards that we get in return. I also want you to understand, God owes you absolutely nothing. He owes you absolutely nothing. He has given you eternal life, salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. If we will just repent of our sins and trust in Him, He has already given us eternal life and forgiven us of our sins, and we'll spend eternity with Him, but yet He still chooses to reward our service. Even if I don't get anything else, I still should serve Him with every being and make every sacrifice I possibly can to serve Him and to grow His kingdom because of what he has already done. Let's take that into perspective. And together, let's hold each other accountable. Let's help each other to keep our priorities straight, and let's make the absolute best investment that we can, and that's investing in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this time that we've had together. God, we thank you so much for the sacrifices that you've made for us. Father, we just want to thank you so much for the opportunity that we can call you Father and the fact that we have been able to establish a relationship with you through Jesus. And Father, help us to see things in, in, in your perspective, through your eyes, God, that 
When we live our lives according to your will, your way, and your purpose, then our needs will be fully met, and we don't need to worry about the things of the world. But Father, help us to be more heavenly-minded. Help us to have our hearts geared towards you in all areas of our life. God, we just want to thank you so much again for Jesus. It's his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.